2 Corinthians in chapter 5, and we're just going to look together to start this morning with verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 21. The word of God says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And you're going to probably think this is silly, and I've told this story a time or two, but it's important to me, and as long as I'm here, this is going to be something we're going to do from time to time. So I had a professor in seminary. His name was Leroy Forlines. He was one of the best thinkers that I'd ever met. He didn't have an official PhD, but probably one of the smartest people I ever knew. But he was a slightly eccentric, and he had a pretty high-pitched voice. And every now and then, he would do things that you were just like, what is he doing? And I will not forget this, and this was the point of why he did it. He was probably in his 60s, late 60s at the time. And he was actually known for standing on his head, like I think in drinking water was one of his little tricks that he would do from time to time. He got up, stood up on the desk, and he turned to four different directions, and he said in each direction, preach the satisfaction view of atonement every now and then. Preach the satisfaction view of atonement every now and then. And as silly as it was, you know what it sealed in my heart was like, I got to make sure that I never leave this very basic truth. And today, we talked about evangelism as a basic truth last week. Today, we're going to look at this truth. A few summers ago, we did a series on the fundamentals. And if you'll remember, this, this is some penology. It's your preacher's perspective here. But there are five fundamentals that we're talking about quite a bit. And when these were first laid out earlier in the 1900s in in a book, these five really stood out. And the first one is the virgin birth. And here's what I hope you will never, ever let anyone take, put so much of the world's science into you to try to explain away that there could not be a virgin birth. Because the virgin birth is a supernatural God invading this world and changing it for his good. And so you can find out real quick what somebody thinks about the miracles in the scriptures if you ask them about the virgin birth. Your preacher this morning believes that the scripture teaches and he believes that, the, that Jesus was born of a virgin. That's fundamental truth. Second fundamental truth. This one's been under attack for many, many years, but that is that this book, this book is inspired and in its autographs, it's original letters, it is without error. And there's a whole world of people will try to explain away everything they don't like in this book. But this has been an amazing opportunity for me in my life. I was able to be, to grow up in a good, healthy church. I was able to go to a good Bible college where the word of God was taught. I was able to go to a seminary where the word of God, as the word of God was taught. And this whole 50-year journey that I've been on, I've been able to investigate and see, does this word hold true? And I'm here to tell you today, it has, hold, it has held true every day of my life. The word of God is our authority. It is inspired. It is without error. It is true in science and geography and history, and especially of all those things, it, then it's true of salvation. Okay? So 
if you're in a fundamental church, you're going to see those things are true. Here's the third one. And you would think this is an assumption that everybody would believe. It is a fundamental truth that Jesus literally died and literally rose again. That's what the Bible teaches, right? Why would that be so hard? And yet, there are seminary professors, there are even denominations that will propose theories that will try to explain away the death and the resurrection of Christ. And I'm like, if you do that, what do you believe in? Right? So today, we very clearly teach the literal death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why we're here on a Sunday. And then, as we talked about in our communion today, that Jesus is coming again. Literally, physically, our Lord will come back to this place. That is what the Bible teaches. Okay, so these are our fundamentals. Um, the one that we're going to talk about today, this last one, is this idea of a substitutionary atonement. And so I want to, to remind you of these things. I believe the scriptures are true with all my heart, and the scriptures are clear that Jesus took our place. The big truth is that without the death and the righteous life of Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we will miss out on eternal life with God. You hear me today? These are fundamentals. I know you guys are like, come on, I've heard this a thousand times. What I'm telling you is that the whole world around these walls, they don't believe any of these things. So you need to have a good hold on them. And what you're going to find is that some of these things are invading the church. This is a story I've shared before, but I want to encourage you about this again today. And I thought this was important, especially as we think of our young people. The Bible is just not a book about being a good person and having good morals. Amen? <laughs> right? And so what some have shared, I thought this was kind of interesting as you think about it. Have you ever watched or heard of the Veggie Tales? So this is, shows how old I am. Like when Brooklyn and Isaiah were little, this is like back in the early 90s, Veggie Tales were huge, right? They were big. And I love, I still like to watch Veggie Tales. I mean, that's what I, what I am. But I want you to think about this. Veggie Tales, they take biblical stories and biblical characters, but they mine out the narrative for abstractions, for timeless moral truths that they can help children to be kinder and gentler and more honest. And there's almost nothing in any episode that isn't true, but what's missing is what? Jesus. Right? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe so you could point it out. I don't know if I've ever seen a VeggieTales episode about the cross. It's about being kind and good, and there's stories about gossip and stories, even David and Bathsheba, they, 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 the Veggie Tales did that, right? Where is Jesus? Again, don't get me wrong, I love Veggie Tales, but the scriptures are more than timeless truths about being kind. Here's the thing I want you to hear this morning. They point to a cross with nails and a crown of thorns and a spear in the side of the Savior and the payment that was given that we might be redeemed. All right? We're going to look at a few different examples in scriptures today that remind us about this truth. And the only thing I want you to take with you from today is that you can confidently know that because of sin, I needed Jesus to take my place. He did. And if I will repent of my sins, I can be forgiven. There it is. Message in a nutshell. All right. Let's look at a story from the Old Testament that I know you're familiar with. But it, again, it's just that such a perfect picture of substitution. If you have your Bibles and you want to, you can turn to Genesis 22. And again, we'll show it up here on the screen. I know you know this story inside and out, but again, it's that reminder, that perfect picture 
that there had to be a substitute. Genesis 22, verse 1, the Bible says, Sometime later God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. That's a good response, isn't it? Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So early the next morning, verse 3, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And we had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance and he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Did you catch that? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? God told Abraham, go sacrifice your son. Abraham tells the servants, we're going to go worship, and we're coming back. That is why he was commended for his faith. Look in verse 6. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up, and he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. As preachers would say, that'll preach right there, right? That's the point. And the two of them went on together. Look at verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood, and he bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar at the top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And here I am, he replied. Verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Substitution. So Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, that's a whole sermon in itself. That's a great story, right? But that truth of substitution is so powerful in that place. I'll never forget the little story where Martin Luther is telling the story to his wife, Katie, and he says the story to her, and she's like, God would never do that to his son. And Martin Luther says, oh, Katie, he did. The problem was that day, there was nobody that said withhold, did they? And the whole verses of evil and in sin that had shaken us all apart, God allowed that sin to be laid on his son and then proved to us that we could be reconciled to him through the power of the resurrection. Again, there's so many good things there, but I want you to take with you today this very truth that in his stead, God provided. And today in our stead, God provided, and that is the truth of his son. So let's look, if you would, now at this very kind of a big word, a good theological word, and that is the truth of propitiation. Again, if you have your Bibles and you want to, you can turn over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. And this is such an important truth 
This is what we need to make sure that our young people understand and that they never forget. Uh, the, the problem again today is that I'm telling you from the young people I talk to, they don't think that there is such a thing as sin. If there's no sin, there's no need for a savior, is there, right? And that's where they're at today. That's why we've got to lay out this truth. The truth of propitiation. First John chapter 2, verse 2, the scripture says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. Very literally, this word, is it means it's a payment that appeases wrath. Let me give you a, a little better picture of what the fullness of this word. Hang with me here. I know this is a wordy statement, but I want you to soak this in a little bit. Propitiation is the full satisfaction of the demands of the law for righteousness and the payment of a penalty by Jesus thus making it possible for God to turn his wrath from the sinner who believes in Jesus and to view him with favor and at the same time to remain a God of justice. Let me put it in some pen words here for you this morning. Propitiation is two pieces of the puzzle. The first piece is that we owe God a perfect righteous life. How are we doing? Anybody take that bet, that deal? You got it all together? You haven't messed up so far? You're, you're on the right track? <laughs> the problem is we're born in sin, right? So God says, hey, you owe me righteousness. And Adam and Eve, unfortunately, blew it for the whole race right from the get-go, okay? Now, what do we know about Jesus, though? Did he ever sin? Again, those fundamental truths, right? <laughs> no, Jesus never sinned. He lived a perfect life. Jesus satisfies, satisfies the demands for a completely righteous life. Now, on the flip side of the argument is, well, if you can't pay the righteous life, then what do you owe? For the wages of sin is death. We've been doing this in our Sunday school class. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages are what you earn. So if you're a sinner today, what have you earned? You've earned death. So propitiation says, well, to appease God's wrath, I need a perfect life. I haven't done that. So here's what you can offer. You can offer death to pay for your sin. And again, put this in the preacher's terms a little bit. To me, that is hell. You can offer hell because you've committed a sin against an eternal God. And so you can pay for that with punishment forever. But what did Jesus do? Because he is eternal, he could take the payment of that penalty, again, if you would, for preacher's terminology, or that hell, and he would bear it not only physically, but spiritually in his body and his spirit on the cross. So here's the awesome thing. You owe a perfect life or you owe an eternal penalty of death. And we can't do the first one, and nobody wants to do the second one. But what did Jesus do? He lived the first one, and he paid the second one. And if you would repent of your sins, here's the deal, what propitiation says. Now, not only can God say, okay, you paid me. You don't owe me anything else that's taken care of, which that's a good feeling, isn't it, right? We all like to be debt-free. We like to be paid off. That's a nice thing. But what the Lord says is not only that. 
you have Jesus' righteous, perfect, holy life applied to your account. And so now you can be my child. You can be my son. You can receive the things that I have for you. You can be reconciled. Woo, that's good. (laughs) Not only not the bad, but I get all the good. And I get it because Jesus took my place. Don't let the world tell you that that is not the case. That is what the word of God says. I love that. That's good stuff. All right, moving on just a little bit here this morning. So sin will be punished. We just saw that. Jesus paid (laughs) our death penalty on that tree. Again, what's the scripture saying? Galatians chapter three, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Do you see again substitution? You can't get around it. Like when I was growing up, and especially or growing up as a preacher, I should say, there in Salem, Illinois, back in the late 90s and the early 2000s, there was a whole movement of churches that was trying to take away this idea of substitution and of propitiation. They just wanted to talk about being kind and good and selfless. I'm like, you cannot read the word of God and teach that truth. It's not possible. And they were trying to, some of them trying to kind of push away, like, well, all of our theology seems to be based on the book of Romans way too much. <laughs> like, what? It's the Bible. You take the whole thing, right? And again, it's so clear today that the Lord took it our place. Let's look real quickly, and we'll finish up as we think about the clarity of the scriptures about this truth. Again, Isaiah 53, if I had to pick a favorite passage in the scripture, that's probably where I would end up. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, The chastisement that was upon him brought us peace, and by his stripes or by his wounds, we are healed. Amen? Now look at this. He was pierced for us. Did Jesus need to be pierced? He was perfect. He took our place. He was crushed for us. And this is so hard for me to think about, but it's his father doing the crushing because of the sin. It's not the devil doing the crushing. The devil doesn't have the power. But the father is allowing his son to be crushed. His crushing was for us. He took our place. The chastisement that delivers peace, the wounds that heal, all of these things are Jesus taking our place. What's powerful to me is that suffering servant idea of Isaiah. It didn't fit with the Jewish idea of Messiah, but it was definitely the biblical idea. And that's why so many Jewish leaders couldn't see it. They were looking for a king and they got a king, but not the one that they were looking for, right? They weren't looking for a substitutionary king. Jesus' suffering was for us. He took our place. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. This is some good cancel culture right here, right? (laughs) God canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside. How did he do it? Nailed it to the cross, right? Again, I don't know. We did this a few Good Fridays ago, and it just has never left me. But I was uh, looking up that, the the Greek word, testelestai. I can't even say it right. (laughs) Testelestai, right? That's the word for it is finished. And I was Googling up it in Greek. And when it came up in Google, do you know what that word means now? What it, what it means? Game over. Isn't that awesome? That is so good. Game over. And that's what happened on the cross. That 
record of debt, that mountain of debt that I could never pay, whenever the Lord put his son on the cross, he nailed that debt to the cross, and it is finished, game over. Amen? That is Jesus, again, taking our place, all right? 2 Corinthians 5.21, to finish up where we started today, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, I'll never forget this. We need to just have Good Friday all the time. Whenever Jacob was a few years ago, and we were walking through the story of Barabbas and Jesus, and this little boy, and I don't even know he knew the Lord was moving on him, but he did, and he basically said, Jesus didn't have to do that for He shouldn't have done that for me. I should have been there. <laughs> and we we're like, yes. Like you could tell that Jacob, he wanted to go back and say, Jesus, you get off the cross. I'll get on here. This is for me. This is not about you. He took our place. He became sin for us. He who had no sin became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. Praise the Lord. All right. You guys, please, I know you know this, and I, we hear it, and we've heard it a hundred times, but I'm going to see Mr. Fourlines on that desk till the day I die, and I'm going to keep preaching this till the day I die, because there's people all around here that don't see sin, and they don't see a need for redemption. But if we'll speak the truth of the gospel through love and service, and sometimes forcefully, as the Lord leads, every now and then someone will hear that truth, and it will open their heart, and they'll pry in and realize that, yes, I needed a substitute. I want to close this, this Oswald Chambers uh, passage here, this quote. And again, it's rather wordy, so hang here with me, but I think you'll see the power of it as you make your way through it. Oswald Chambers says, We trample the blood of the Son of God if we think we are forgiven because we are sorry for our sins. The only explanation for the forgiveness of God and for the unfathomable depth of his forgetting is the death of Jesus Christ. Our repentance is merely the outcome of our personal realization of the atonement which he worked out for us. It does not matter who or what we are, there is absolute reinstatement into God by the death of Jesus Christ, and look at this, by no other way. Did you hear that scripture that Ray read earlier today, right? There is no other name, right? No other way. Not because Jesus Christ pleads, but because he died. It is not earned, but accepted. All the pleading which deliberately refuses to recognize the cross is of no avail. It is a battering at a door other than the one that Jesus has opened. Our Lord does not pretend we are all right when we are all wrong. The atonement is a propitiation whereby God, through the death of Jesus, makes an unholy man holy. That's a miracle, isn't it? That is the substitution. This is one of the core truths of the gospel. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We are bound for the wrath of God. We have a Savior who lived a perfect life, paid the penalty for death when he was crucified. And again, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, he wasn't just saying he was dying. He was saying the work had been 
completed. So very simply today in response, if you will believe in what Jesus has done for you, he will change your heart and give you life and life to come. Now, I know you guys know that, but they don't. And what we talked about last week, most of them aren't going to come in here. So how are they going to know? You got to tell them. You got to tell them that Jesus died on their behalf. And again, I would encourage you, as you have opportunity, let the scriptures do the talking. They're alive, powerful than more powerful than any two-edged sword, right? Yeah. Let them do the work. This morning, again, as Todd prayed for us today, and again, I don't want to assume, over-assume, if there's anybody here that has not repented of your sins and trusted Christ as your Savior, the question to you is, what will you do with the atonement, the cross of Jesus Christ? And can I say here real quick, Christian, today, be careful, because what happens to us a lot of times is we take that atonement when we first become a Christian, but then after that, what do we do? We set that aside and we start saying, well, I've got to be good enough. I've got to be kind enough. I can take care of myself. I've got to be righteous enough. And the truth that we had day one was that we can't do this without God because Jesus did it for us. We need that gospel message every day of our life, not just the day we're justified, right? So let that truth hold to you today as well. But ultimately, the last thing I want to share with you is we're around and surrounded by all the beauty and the truth of the opportunity to share the message of the gospel this Easter season, who can you share this story with? Be in prayer today, right right now. Lord, who can I take this good news, this truth, and who can I give it to that they would know Jesus? They would know that their biggest debt they ever owed is paid. <laughs> and not only that, but they can be reconciled to a loving father for all eternity, right? Let's stand.